0: Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.
1: Good morning. It is Tuesday, December 15th. You are listening to the College Football Daily. My name is Trey Scott, and coming up is a roundtable from the 24-7 Sports Football Recruiting Podcast looking ahead to tomorrow's early signing day. Hard to believe it's already here, but yes, the three-day early signing period window from December 16th to the 18th is right around the corner and it is the new signing day. We will still have our first Wednesday of February as a, as a calendar event, but this is the big one. And one of the big storylines to track is where will number one overall recruit Corey Foreman, a five-star defensive end go USC, certainly in the mix, Clemson, his former school that he was committed to. They are too. They, he just took a visit there. Arizona state also recently visited there. looks like Georgia is getting right back in the mix. Maybe LSU is still lurking. Our recruiting guys have an excellent roundtable talking about that, as well as other key storylines to watch for Wednesday's early signing day. If you're interested in wall to wall signing day coverage, we got you covered. 9 a.m. to 6 p.m. Eastern Time on CBS Sports HQ. That, again, is eight hours of signing day coverage. Josh Pate, Barton Simmons, and Steve Wiltfong all from our Nashville studio. Got Fort Lauderdale cooking as well for CBS Sports. Brady Quinn, Bud Elliott, Danny Connell. It's going to be a lot of fun, a lot of great coverage. I hope everybody watches it. Again, 9 a.m. to 6 p.m. on Wednesday on CBS Sports HQ. Without further ado, here is our roundtable on where Corey Foreman is going to end up.
2: Hey, what's good? Welcome back to another edition of the Twenty Four Seven Sports Football Recruiting Podcast. I am Blair Angulo, joined by a trio of special guests: the Director of Recruiting for Twenty Four Seven Sports, Steve Wiltfong, National Recruiting Editor Brandon Huffman; and National Recruiting Analyst Greg Biggins. How are you doing, fellas? Hi, Blair. You guys ready? You guys, you guys, you guys, uh, getting the, the coffee ready for the early signing period? Starbucks, baby. We've got a lot to talk about. It was an eventful weekend in college football as we're getting ready for the championship games in, in, you know, in every conference. But these coaches have to worry about the signing day. Uh, Steve, this is the first time this has ever happened, uh, where coaches and schools are preparing for early signing day, but also worrying about winning their conference. How do you think that dynamic is, is working this year?
3: Well, I think that if you're playing in your conference championship, it's obviously an advantage for you on the recruiting trail because kids obviously want to play for programs that are playing for trophies, and and the teams that are playing for conference championships, those are the ones that are are, are ranked in our top ten. I mean, you got Alabama, uh, who's obviously atop the rankings, and and they're playing Florida, who's looking for a third straight top ten class, and you got Clemson and, and Notre Dame in the top ten in the ACC. And, and so they're used to this by now, you know, uh, whether even programs that are are playing in bowl games in December, uh, they're used to all these programs are used to toggling the early signing period uh, with their bowl game. But on the flip side, I think that like, if you go back to PJ flex first full recruiting class where they went five and seven at Minnesota, but they landed guys like Rashad Bateman, Not going to a bowl game was maybe big for them. That Coach Fleck was able to spend all his time keeping guys like Rashad Bateman in the boat, not having to focus on on coaching another bowl game. So,
2: yeah, and it's an interesting dynamic because, you know, for the most part, these coaches love to focus on one thing. And when they're trying to win and, and add hardware uh, and now trying to juggle that with, with recruiting, it's going to be really interesting to see how all of that functions on Wednesday when the early signing period uh, begins, right? Where, whether those coaches are active on social media, whether they hold a press conference like they usually do. I think that's going to be one uh, interesting wrinkle. Uh, over the weekend, Huff, the, the biggest commitment of the weekend, Emeka Igbuka, the number one rated receiver in the country, five-star prospect. From the state of Washington announced that he was committing to Ohio State and he will be signing with the Buckeyes this Wednesday. How did this happen? And maybe a better question does this help Ohio State with JT Tuimoloau, another five star from the state of Washington?
0: Well, the first part of that question is how did this happen? It was a fantastic recruiting job by Brian Hartline, by Ryan Day. They offered him, Steve, you know, you and I were both there in San Antonio the day that Emeka ran the 44240. At the All American Combine 2019, he was offered by Ohio State that weekend. Took a visit out there in the spring of 2019. Got to take his mom and his stepdad out there to get a, tra- a visit and a view of Columbus. Went back in the fall when Ohio State hosted Wisconsin. So we got a game day atmosphere, which was able. You know, he was able to kind of take in the whole weekend during a game weekend, but also went there for an unofficial in the spring to spend time with at the time. New head coach, Ryan Day, get to know Brian Hartline. So he already had enough of Columbus, uh, enough of understanding for Columbus. Washington obviously was close to home with the school he's been to a number of times. But there was a lot of speculation that a visit to Oklahoma, which was supposed to be taken in April, for an official that got pushed back because the pandemic had been ultimately canceled. He was also supposed to go out to uh, Norman in the summer for the Sooner Summit. Didn't end up making that trip. Finally got out to Oklahoma last weekend when they hosted Baylor. Many people thought that if he took that visit, that was going to seal the deal for him. And that that visit did seal the deal. It sealed it for Ohio State that the Buckeyes were the place ultimately he wanted to go. I think we all put crystal balls in for Ohio State back in April, never wavered from that even though Oklahoma made a big push. And I think Ohio State, just with their their history of developing receivers, the relationship he had with Brian Hartline and Ryan Day, and then an assist to another former Washington resident, G. Scott Jr., who's a freshman with Ohio State, who spent a lot of time talking to Emeka. I think all of those factors carried him, and he ultimately picked Ohio State. The last line of the story that I wrote on Emeka's commitment to the Buckeyes was me and J.T., or me and G., We are for sure going to get JT to come to Ohio State. So I think if you're an Ohio State fan, you got to be very excited about the early inroads that the the Buckeyes made in Washington with G. Scott and then Emeka Buka, because it might ultimately bring the biggest prize of all: our number one player in the country, the 2021 class.
3: If they get JT, they'll be tough to beat for number one player or number one class in the country too. uh, When when you add that up, and they finished number one in that pound for pound category a couple times, but if Ohio State can. Land JT, uh, they'll be tough to beat uh, for that number one class as they go toe to toe with Alabama for him.
2: Yeah, that's a that's a huge storyline, right, Steve? Heading into the early signing period, who's going to be the the top class? Right now, Bama number one, Ohio State number two, Georgia number three. Not sure Georgia has enough there uh, left on the board to make up ground, but you know that's always a, a big and 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 I guess intriguing battle heading into the early signing period.
3: JT is the big fish for. Uh, Ohio State's still on the board. Alabama's got a few, few guys that they're, they're recruiting. They'd like to take another defensive lineman, whether that's uh, uh, flipping a Tyreek Sapp from, from Florida or, or, or winning Timmese Adelaide. Uh, uh, they're in on a couple receivers. Xavier Worthy committed to Michigan. Brian Thomas is a receiver from Louisiana. They're in the mix for a finalist for Xavier and Sorry. They'd love another safety, Tarian Arnold, the coveted target for them. And then, and then obviously uh, they'll turn the page to, to February and recruit JT.
2: Greg, the the big flip of the weekend uh, was Nathaniel Wiggins flipping from LSU to Clemson. He's uh, a top 24-7 cornerback from the state of Georgia. And I know you wrote his scouting report on his 24-7 sports page. You also have an analysis of what Clemson is getting now in this top 24-7 prospect. What do you like about him when you see him on film?
4: I think it's huge. Again, I didn't know much about him until I did a scouting report back early in the year, and I, I was blown away by how good he was. I, I love his playing style. You know, he's 6'2 and long, I, and I love long corners who are flexible and fluid. And, and for me, this is a guy who can run. He's got short area burst. I love his safety tape. I love his receiver tape. I love his training tape. And I think uh, as loaded as Clemson is, they did have a need for a cornerback in this year's class. He's the actually the only guy they're bringing in so far, and I, I do think he's a guy who can come in and make an early impact, and, uh, you know, it's just a, a case of, you know, the, the rich getting richer, and obviously LSU's got some issues on and off the field a little bit, and I think Clemson, one thing about their, their program and, and Coach Sweeney, they're so stable, and, and anybody who takes a visit there, going back to just DJ just raved about just the family atmosphere, and I think that really sat well with the whole family for Nathaniel Wiggins, and, again, huge flip uh, for Clemson and a huge disappointing loss for, uh, for GB. So we had a flip, we had a big commitment from a five-star
2: prospect, and we also had a coaching decision. So Gus Malzahn is out at Auburn. The Tigers number 12 right now among SEC schools in the composite team rankings with, with only 12 commitments and only six and four on the season. That's not going get, to get it done uh, at Auburn. Steve, this is a very interesting way to approach the early signing period. The timing of it now suggests that that administration that athletic department realizes how important it is to move and move fast
3: well they fired him after he won a ball game so I assume they made that decision before the ball game so theoretically they could have moved faster
2: yeah what are we doing what are we doing here we're just gonna let a guy go out there and and win a ball game
3: all right, so early signing periods three days away, and uh, um, you know they, they make a move. And, and we were talking about this before the show. Obviously, college football seasons in a normal year they end over Thanksgiving weekend. You get a you can fire your coach that Sunday, and you have a few weeks to patch something together, and and maybe even make a little magic happen uh, before the early signing period, like Mac Brown did when he flipped Sam Howe from Florida State, and that's paying dividends for for North Carolina now, who just had the big win over Miami and two top 15 recruiting classes. The Tar Heels aren't going anywhere. Uh, Auburn seems light years away from that right now. With, with three three days till the early signing period, I would have to think they know where they're going to pivot quickly for them to make this move. But you know, I'm just assuming there. Auburn they they only have 12 commits, but pound for pound, it's a pretty solid class. I think it's five at number five in the SEC if you're looking at average ranking per commit. They have some really good players on the board, Armani Goodwin, George Wilson, Trevin Wallace. Those are all top two, four, seven players. Armani Goodwin's a consensus top 100 player, number five back in the country. So maybe if they make a quick pivot, they can salvage those recruitments. George Wilson's already trending for Florida State on the crystal ball. But if, if Auburn hires, you say, a Kevin Steele, well, maybe George Wilson's like, oh, well, I mean, hell, that's who I was going to go play for anyway, you know? And, and, and so he that, that can pivot back and – Armani Goodwin, uh, you know, talking to some people around him. He was expected to end up back at Auburn. Malzahn's fired today. LSU is way in that one uh, uh, for the number five running back. And, and then Trevin Wallace, he's got a big Zoom meeting tonight, Sunday night with, with Ole Miss, Tennessee's in there. Uh, but again, if Auburn re- keeps that defensive staff together, you know, maybe they, they salvage that. And then it's a pretty good class. And they had a top 10 class last year. Bo Nix is about to have his third straight new offensive coordinator. That, that ain't good. You know, there's a guy that was a consensus top 100 recruit. That's, you know, almost kind of getting wasted here with, with having to learn a new playbook, every year so you kind of hope that Auburn can get some stability there quickly uh in in that regard with 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 a highly recruited quarterback that they have under center that's played a lot of football um I'm I'm curious to see where it goes uh I think Auburn's you know again they had a top 10 class last year so it shows you the kind of potential they, they can have on the recruiting trail
2: yeah and recruits are also going to be keeping a close eye on on everything that's going on at Auburn heading into the early signing period not only in this class but in the 2022 class We're going to take a short break. We'll be right back with more here on the 24-7 Sports Football Recruiting Podcast.
0: Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.
2: We are back on the 24-7 Sports Football Recruiting Podcast. I am Blair Angulo, joined by Steve Wilfong, the Director of Recruiting for 24-7 Sports, National Recruiting Analyst Greg Biggins, and National Recruiting Editor, Brandon Huffman. We're going to continue our roundtable discussion, guys. It's been uh, quite, quite the treat, I think. It's been fun. We haven't done this. is our first time, and what better way to do it than heading into the early signing period. Let's talk a little Corey Foreman, Greg Biggins. There were some rumblings there that he might have found his way out to Athens, Georgia, this, this weekend. Can, can you dispel those, those rumors?
4: Yeah. He did not visit Georgia. Um, I got that confirmed His pops earlier in the day. And uh, you know, right now I'm starting to get, if we can kind of jump ahead, if that was, I don't mean to steal your thunder here, Blair, but if you were going to ask about leaders, let's jump right into that. Right. I'm starting to get a little bit of a USC vibe with Corey. You know, I know coming off his Clumpson visit, he he loved Clemson. He kind of brought back a lot of the memories and, and feelings of why he originally committed there. Loves the development, loves the coaching staff. Again, mentioned DJ. I loves that family atmosphere. And if you're a parent, Uh, I think you feel safe with your kid at Clemson. Uh, But I know he watched the game last night uh, with a couple other recruits. And I know USC has always been in the mix, kind of very stealth-like. And I I think right now Corey has watched the team and been impressed by some of the defensive changes, likes how he would be used. I would say don't rule out Arizona State. Don't rule out Clemson. Don't even rule out Georgia. Don't rule out anybody with Corey, right? We we never know. He's been pretty unpredictable. But, you know, if I had a, a gun to my head and I was forced to pick Right now, I think I'd probably move my crystal ball over to USC. I think it might be in a good spot, but I will preface that by saying, with Corey, you never know. And there's still a long way to go before I think he's, he's ready to seal the deal.
2: You know, we had a piece where all four of us uh, wrote this last week on 24-7 Sports. And, Brandon, you wrote that you have seen this movie before.
0: I've seen this movie so many times, and it always seems to turn out the same way. And And I think, you know – just basing it on history. I mean, you look back to obviously he's a higher rated prospect than, than Drake Jackson was a couple of years ago or Gary Bryant Jr. was last year. But the result ended the same Corona Centennial, national attention. Are they going to stay? Are they going to stay? No, they're going up and then they stay. I just think this, and I mean, even Justin Flo is a good example. He still looked like USC was so far in the distance and He took that final visit last week. and Yes, he ultimately signed with Oregon, but USC didn't go away. And that's the one thing with Southern Californians over time, over the last 20 years is if USC stays in this race as long as they do, it's hard for a lot of these Southern California kids to leave. And when you have a nice little pipeline from Crota Centennial to USC, especially with Drake Jackson, look at the success that Drake Jackson's had there over the last couple of years. I mean, playing the same position, You could see why USC is the school that you say, hey, if we're going to go on a basis on history,
4: USC gets his signature. Just to piggyback on, on that real quick, Blair, and I don't know the year. I know Huff's better with dates, but there was a year. It was the Adoria Jackson, Damian Mama, Juju Smith year. 2014 class. So all three of those guys were going elsewhere the night of signing day. And this came out after the fact, right? No one ever says this is what they're going to do. But after the fact, we found out Damian was going to BYU. Juju was Oregon. Adoree was LSU. They woke up that morning. And it's, it's hard. It's hard to leave home. And I could give you a thousand other examples of players that the night before signing day told me, I'm going here. They wake up. They see mom and dad. They see a grandparent in tears. And they can't do it. And I think... Corey's already proven that he will leave home, obviously, right? He committed to Clemson, and I think family's okay with with the distance factor, but just the way things are starting to trend a little bit, that's why I kind of got a little USC vibe. And like Huffson, I've seen this movie before a thousand times as well.
2: Yeah, and USC, it seems like every year, lines up a patented photo finish on signing day. It seems like they love the drama, and they feed off of the headlines, right, that it generates on National Signing Day with the the televised commitments and all the prospects that do it, I guess, in unison. It, I've heard it before where some of these recruits want the attention to, to come off as a group and they all want to join that same program, even though they might have already committed or, or been silent or whatever it may be. USC is always one of those schools that does a terrific job of closing and and they win signing day more, more so than not. Steve, they're one of the programs with most to gain uh, coming into the early signing period.
3: Yeah. Let's talk about Jackson Dart because that's as pivotal a recruit as there is on the board for any school. And it's not getting much talk uh, um, because he's a guy that recently has become kind of the high ranking recruit, but he had an epic senior year, uh, uh, I think he tripled his passing yardage or or he doubled his passing yardage, tripled his touchdowns, decreased his interceptions in half, uh, rushed for over a thousand yards more as a senior than than he did as a junior. And and you have Arizona state, hopefully trying to pivot from Jaden to Jackson. Then you have USC who just really has no depth in their quarterback room. Those two schools duking it out uh, uh, for Jackson Dart here at the end. And if USC can add him, along with Corey Foreman and, and Devin Kirkwood and uh, a running back out of the Lone Star State or, or in-state, whether it's McCaskill or, or, or Cardwell, the man Jack kid from Texas who had an epic senior year as well. They got a lot of names on the board and they're, they're I kind of lost track of where they're at in the rankings right now. There's been a lot of movement. Are they 12? They're number
2: two among Pac-12 programs and they are number 14 in the composite team rankings right now. So, they, they could potentially make a push into the top 10. Yeah, they got a great chance to get back in the top 10.
4: Yeah, I, I would say watch out for rajon Davis also. Um Day kid, current LSU commit. I, I think, did you have him on your in your spatula? Flip watch, Steve. It, it, I think USC uh, is definitely in the mix. And Ohio State is working pretty hard on, on Rayjean also. I don't think he's going to sign early. That was always his plan. He's not going to graduate early. So his kind of feeling was, why do I need to sign early? I want to see how these – coaching changes and position coaches at my schools kind of sort themselves out, but I'd also watch out for USC with with Rayjean.
3: Greg, how confident are you that Corey will sign early?
4: I'm not confident about anything with Corey. All, all I can say is his word. Last time I spoke with him, was that was the plan, was to sign, kind of keep it quiet, and then go ahead and announce. And if he follows through with that, which I think he will, I, I think it kind of tells me that, you know, even though on the outside we kind of see this as a, as a pretty fluid recruitment, I, I think Maybe in his little inner circle, I think he's kind of known maybe for a little bit what he really wants to do.
3: Foreman's recruitment, you go from you and I forecasting LSU low confidence. He took two pandemic visits, was about to take a third pandemic visit. The LSU Alabama game gets canceled. He visits Clemson, and all of a sudden, we go from th- almost three visits to LSU during the pandemic in an LSU forecast to USC or Clemson here, and Arizona State as the dark horse, yet there's still contact with Georgia and LSU.
4: I mean, I had my original crystal ball on Georgia. Like, and I'm not the guy who likes to do that. Like, that's kind of your thing. You do a great job of using the crystal ball to, to do trends. I think, you know, Mean Huff, it's kind of more of like, hey, once the guy knows what he's going to do, that's when I want to put my pick in. But I put him on Georgia after a visit, because he told me that he probably wasn't going to take any more visits. Then two weeks later, he visits LSU. And then he goes to an LSU game, and I moved it over to – to LSU and I thought Clemson was dead now the water that he takes a visit there so he, he's been kind of full surprises the whole entire year
3: I get the sense that Clemson's parents are doing a good job of the, of the players on the team you know obviously there's a relationship with DJ but I think it goes beyond that when they visited the Clemson game Corey's parents spent a lot of time with other Clemson parents and seems like he really feels like he fits in with those guys um, there and and, and It's a place where he knows it's like a guarantee for him at the end of the road. What do you think separates Clemson and USC?
4: I would say location and family are probably the two biggest things. I think you mentioned the family, obviously Big Dave, DJ's dad. You know, he works at the same training facility that both Corey and DJ trained at, Winter Circle. But I think end of the day, there, there is some people in, in Corey's family who would love for him to stay closer to home. I think that's why Arizona State got in the mix kind of late was they were maybe not a compromise choice, but you know, Clemson, Georgia, LSU were kind of far. USC, yeah, locally, but coaching stability was an issue. How about Arizona State? Herm Edwards, we know he's not going anywhere. We love the NFL structure of that coaching staff, and it's a five-hour drive. So I think that's how ASU got in it. But if you're just ballparking or handicapping USC and Clemson, like you said, Clemson, if he goes to Clemson, that's a, that's a sure thing, right? He's going to be a first-round pick because of how great they do in terms of developing and scheming that, that big national stage that, that Corey wants. USC, I think Drake Jackson will be a first-round pick. So I think they're selling him on, hey, you don't have to go across the country to be a first-round pick. We can get guys out right here, your backyard. we got a new staff defensively. Uh, Dante Williams is his lead recruiter. They've known each other for a long time. So there's that familiarity with home. Drake Jackson is his best friend. But again, I don't know if that's a huge deal because Drake's probably going to be three and out. So it'd be one year they'd play together. I think mostly it's just location, close to home, and just that familiarity that he has at USC kind of helps the Trojans a little bit.
3: And since we're not sleeping on Arizona State, are they doing the best job, in your opinion, of just actually recruiting him in, in a relationship standpoint? Or do you give that nod to
4: somebody else? I think, I don't want to say they're doing the, I think they're all doing a really good job. You know, he was at ASU two weeks ago and, and he loved it there. And again, it comes down to two things for the, the Foreman family, which is it's stability and what school can give me the best shot to make the NFL. Like they want, that's the game plan. You want to be three and out and, and that's their sound. Hey, not just Herm, but you got Antonio Pierce, you got Marvin Lewis, uh, you got Kevin and NFL Hall of Fame. They got a whole staff full of, of guys that played and excelled and coached in the NFL. And so they could say to Corey, look him in the eye and say, you will not have a single question that we can't answer. There's not a single NFL GM that I don't have on speed dial right now for you. You come here, we're going to put you in the best situation to be successful. I got guys on the phone and you will get drafted and you'll maximize your potential right here at ASU, still West Coast. You don't need to go to the SEC. We got ballers right here and that's, that's their big sell. So I think they're doing a great job, but I think USC is as well. I think Coach Orgeron, we all know what a great job. He, he's personally involved with Corey as the head coach. And then I think Georgia ha- has hung in there. And like I said, Clemson has never went away. So I think all five schools are all doing actually a really good job.
2: Greg, do you miss covering the in-home visit process? I mean, we don't have that this year, but imagine how crazy it would be for, for Corey Foreman right now with, with coaches just rolling in and rolling out.
4: Right. I mean, it's hard to keep up with if he visited Georgia or not and trying to decide where he's, you know, that, that ASU trip he took was supposed to be LSU two weeks ago. So trying to figure out, okay, who's in Corey's house right now, that would be, uh, that would be tough. But I, I do kind of miss it. That was always fun uh, to talk to the families, the, the mobs and the dads, and kind of get their idea of, of what a coach said and and who was the the genuine guy and who was the used car salesman. That, I always get that, you know, comparison. All this guy came in and we knew right away that he was just, you know, had no clue what they were talking about, used car salesman. It was, it was kind of fun hearing some of those stories.
3: My favorite part of in-home season is when the recruit that waits till the last minute tries to crunch them all in at the same time. So then you got Blue Chipper hosting two head coaches at the same time and one said head coach has to wait outside and the other one is just refusing to leave. Like. The, the recruit has to basically kick that head coach out to let the other one in or they're not leaving they're not saying salutations.
2: I miss analyzing the photos in front of the Christmas tree and, and figuring out which coaches were respectful and took their shoes off walking into the home. Those are always fun uh, we We're about to to uh, to let you go, guys, but one last question, Brandon, and it comes from our Apple podcast review It, it came be a five star review from volhalla24 and he wants to know if the new transfer rule and extra year of eligibility do you see more programs saving room for what might be a full transfer portal
0: i believe so i've actually had a couple of schools basically say we're going to recruit the portal especially with the expectation that the NCA will pass the one-time transfer rule in january i think there's a couple of reasons why schools will look at going to the portal I think one of them is because now it's looked at as more of a business decision. There's no longer the need for these guys to take visits, do the photo shoots, go through the whole process, try to get as many Twitter followers as they can. At this point, in a lot of cases, this is these guys' last chance of playing at an FBS program, so they're taking it a lot more serious. They're a little bit more mature. No longer are they 17-, 18-year-old kind of unknowns. Now they're 20-, 20, 21-year-olds that are realizing this is my last shot. i better make the right decision. And I think some schools are feeling more comfortable recruiting the transfer portal, recruiting transfers once they're in the portal because they understand what they're getting at that point rather than a lot of uncertainty. We've seen Oregon State really hit the portal hard since Jonathan Smith took over as the head coach, not having the biggest recruiting classes, but really taking a lot more transfers. Some have been really successful for them. Some haven't necessarily worked out that great, but it hasn't stopped them from continuing at the portal. I think you're going to see more and more schools hitting the portal because there's still certain reasons why guys transfer. It might not always be a talent issue, just might be a fit issue. We're seeing guys that are starters that have played multiple years be transfers. So a lot of times you're getting a very good player when they're in the portal. And I think there's just a little bit more certainty when you take a guy who's been in college for a couple of years, you kind of cut out a lot of the whole recruiting charade and you get a player that's a lot more serious about finishing what he started a lot more strong. And I think schools will realize that maybe the portal is a safer bet than taking 17 and 18 year old high school recruits.
2: Yeah, so the early signing period this Wednesday, we've got a show 24/7 sports national signing day show on CBS Sports HQ. For Steve Wolfong, Greg Biggins, and Brandon Huffman, I am Blair Angulo. Thank you so much for tuning in to this edition of the 24-7 Sports Football Recruiting Podcast. Enjoy signing day, everyone.